0: I want to welcome all of our campuses to the fourth week of our series entitled, You'll Get Through This. Come on, let's just welcome all those that are joining us. So excited to have you guys with us. We are looking at the book of Philippians. I'm actually going to make it a seven-week series. If you are a guest here, every year, uh, twice a year, once in the fall and once in the spring, I'll teach you a book of the Bible. I actually do every now and then one in the summer as well. I like teaching through books of the Bible. This year, uh, we're looking in the New Testament, uh, the book of Philippians. Now, actually, it's not a book. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Say, Pastor, what are, you, what are you talking about? Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul. And it was actually a letter that he wrote in 60 AD. He was under house arrest. The, the, the elite Roman guard was guarding Paul. Why was he there? He was in prison for preaching the gospel. He was on trial. Matter of fact, he was on trial three times. He ended up in the very end, dying in prison, but this was the first quote moment he was in prison. He wrote Ephesians, he wrote Colossians, he wrote Philippians, he wrote Philemon in his very first prison epistles. That's interesting that you gotta understand. This is a letter, a literal letter that Paul wrote. To a church. So it's not a book, it's a letter. Why did he write it? He wrote it because 10 years prior to that, he founded this church to encourage the church, to build them up in faith, to tell them to keep strong, to to honor God. Interestingly enough, Paul wrote two thirds of the New Testament. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. Two thirds. The Bible is divided in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. After that, we begin to quote the epistles. Most of the epistles, two-thirds of which was written by the Apostle Paul, most of which when he was in print. How many know God can still do great things if you're in prison? Come on, are you all with me or not? I mean that. You may not be in a physical prison, but you may be in a spiritual prison. You may be in some sort of a restriction. But the fact is that God can still do good things through your life. God did amazing things through Paul's life. Today, I want you to open up your Bible to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at a portion of Scripture, a very powerful portion of Scripture. I want to talk to you today about what Paul would say a truly humble life is. I want to talk to you about the power of a humble life. See, the reality is the circumstances that we go through, the situations that you and I go through, uh, the, 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 the title of our series, you'll get through this. There is an ingredient, watch this, there's a supernatural ingredient and an element of life, a characteristic of life that if we have this ingredient, it helps us to move through even the circumstances that we're facing. I want to talk to you about the power of a humble life. Now, one of my heroes, uh, a writer that I love is C.S. Lewis. You guys remember uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, a movie a number of years ago. C.S. Lewis was a a brilliant atheist who actually, through trying to read the New Testament to disprove Christianity, he got born again. How many of you know, don't ever try to read the Bible to disprove the Bible? It'll mess you up, I'm telling you, because the Bible man is alive, and it's a, so he sets out to disprove the Bible. He gets born again. He becomes a prolific author, and he said a statement. It really speaks to this whole theme of humility. And I want to frame my talk today with this statement that C.S. Lewis made. Very, very important. Here's what he said: Humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Let me pause there for a moment. You guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm humble. I'm just nothing. I'm no good. I'm just terrible. That's not humility. That's actually foolishness. We don't go around trying to act humble. I'm just trash. I'm just a barnacle on the bottom of a shrimp boat. I'm nothing. I'm a loser. That's not humility. That's an offense to God. I mean, you know, God doesn't make junk. Jesus didn't die on the cross for trash. Do you think that the Son of God would leave heaven to come to earth to die for trash? No, you're infinitely valuable to God. Humility is not putting yourself down. Watch it. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Watch this. It's thinking of yourself less. It's not less of yourself. I'm worthless. It's just not thinking about yourself as much thinking about God. It's thinking about others. In other words, your perspective goes beyond your own needs. There's nothing wrong with our needs, but life, listen, when we truly are a humble person, we're not consumed with ourselves all day long. My needs, my wants, my desires, my dreams, my goals, my hopes, listen, nothing wrong with that, but I mean, know the true key to life is when we can put God and others first. There's something that happens on the inside of us, a truly humble life, to to walk with God and to hear God and to become what God wants you to be, a truly humble. The virtue, the biblical virtue of humility is not thinking less of yourself that you're a worm. It's just thinking of yourself less. It's putting others first. I'm a history buff. I know we have a lot of history buffs at the church. I know a lot of you guys love uh, history and one of the eras that I really enjoy is World War II history, and I, I'll read lots of books on it. Don't give me any more because I, I've got plenty to read, trust me. I, but, but one of the things that I really love, and I admire different war heroes and leaders and the different generals, one of, one of the people that I just really esteem is Winston Churchill. Matter of fact, a number of years ago, I was so excited when his movie came out. I don't know how many of y'all saw the movie about Winston. It was, it's just fantastic. And one of the unique things about it, I began to think about that this guy was used. I want you to think about this for a moment. If there wasn't a Winston Churchill, the Nazi regime takes over and Western civilization as we know it today doesn't exist the way it so is. I want you to think about the impact of that man's life. Now, what we often don't realize about his life is what he grew up like. You would think somebody that was courageous, I mean, this guy was strong. This guy made decisions in in, in the face of insurmountable odds. You think, well, you know, man, he had a dad that believed in him, or he had a mom that believed in him. That's not true. Matter of fact, if you read his writings, and I've read a number of his books, I've read biographies and autobiographies about him. Number one, his mom, he had a distant relationship, but his dad actually despised him put him down, called him names. They felt like Winston was, a, was, in a sense, some a lead weight that held them back from their social and political advance in the aristocracy in Great Britain. So they felt like, man, this kid's a drag. This kid's no, no good. And his dad would verbally abuse and assault him. But there was somebody in his life. He had a nanny, Miss Elizabeth Annie Everest. And his nanny was a Christian who loved God. And she felt it was her assignment from God to encourage his wife. In other words, when his dad would put him down, she would go by his bedside and say, that's not true about you. God's going to do something great with your life one day. Matter of fact, she was the one that taught him how to say his prayers at nighttime. She would say, Winston, before you go to bed, you, you want to kneel down and, 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 let's, and let, let, let's pray and, and, and let, let's pray a blessing over your mind. Let's pray a blessing over your She's the one that taught him scripture. She's the one that taught him how to respond to his critics. She's the one that taught him how to persevere even when things and odds were against you. Something about that woman That woman that believed in his potential. When his parents put him down, she lifted him up. When his parents threw him aside, she enfolded him in. Now it makes sense when he was facing the stormtroopers and he was facing this regime that there was this unbounding sense of confidence in him because every step of the way he had Miss Annie's voice You can do it, Winston. You can do it, Winston. I began to think about my life. I began to think about in our lives. What if there's some people in our lives that are just one encouragement away from rising up to being what God called them to be? How many people are in our lives? I'm not just talking about our natural children. Of course them, but, but, but maybe other people in our lives. Maybe at work or maybe in your small group or maybe in other relationships socially that you connect with. How many people is God trying to bring across our past that, listen, they need a Miss Annie in their lives? Paul. You know, Paul was not always Paul. You guys know that? He was Saul. Actually, before he was a Christian, right? We love St. Paul, two thirds of the New Testament. There's pictures and paintings. I mean, incredible. Just a, a great, I'm mean, one of the chief apostles. Prior to him being that, he was actually a persecutor and a murderer of the church. I want you to think about that for a moment. A persecutor of the church. Then he gets born again. He gets saved. He has this encounter with Jesus in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus, and he's struck to the ground, and he sees this light, and Christ appears to him. And then he comes back and tells the apostles that he was trying to kill. Hey, guys, I'm one of you now. We're not having you at our house, lest you backslide. Come on, are you all with me or not? And who's inviting that guy? I'm not bringing him to dinner. I mean, my gosh, he can have a little regression moment. I mean, my gosh, but there was a man named Barnabas who saw potential in him. He was a a Miss Everest. He he saw something in Paul. He saw, listen, he saw beyond Paul's hurt. He saw beyond his rejection. He saw beyond his anger, and he believed in him. Matter of fact, it was Barnabas, whose name is Son of Encouragement. Isn't that an appropriate name? Son of encouragement, he he, he was the one that brought Paul. He said, Guys, listen, wait, time out. I got this, Paul. Be quiet, be quiet. This guy's for real. Now, you guys, listen, you may not trust him. Read about this in the book of Acts. This is what Barnabas did for Paul. If there wasn't a Barnabas, there would be no Paul. If there wouldn't have been a Miss Annie, there'd be no Winston Churchill. And here's what she said, here's what he said. He said, Guys, you may not trust him, but do you trust me? This guy's legit. How many people in our lives is God wanting us to step up and believe in when they don't believe in themselves? How many people in our lives is God wanting us to believe in maybe when when others don't believe in them anymore? How many times has God brought somebody across our path? How many times has God strategically positioned people in our lives? There's something that happens. Listen, a truly humble person is not somebody that thinks less of themselves. They just think of themselves less. they're thinking about others. They're thinking about Paul. They're thinking about Winston. They're thinking about all the different people that God has put. And here's what I found in life. It's such a power that, listen, that we really can become and we really can achieve anything that God's put in our heart, but it happens as we help others do it in process. In other words, if we make somebody else's life happen for them, God will make sure that our life happens with us. But I tell you, the world's not like that at all. The world's like, no, you got to watch yourself. Just protect yourself. Take the, every, everybody's trying to take advantage of you. Really? Really? The whole world's trying to take advantage of you? Give me a break. But a true person of humility, a servant leader, somebody that understands that their, their call in God is to lift others. I'm not talking about vocationally being a pastor or a priest. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a Christian. That's the heart of Christ. The heart of Christ is to serve, it's to help, it's to encourage, it's to release the dreams in others. It's to blow in their flame, it's to blow in their sail, it's to help fan what's God put in their heart. Interesting, I I was thinking of this scripture. How how many of you guys have ever said this? I'm asking a question one time, raise your hand. How many of y'all have ever said, as a Christian, we serve the Lord? Can you raise your hand? Raise your hand. Okay, all the campus. All right, now, now watch this, watch this. Where does that concept come from? Look at Mark chapter 10. For even the Son of Man, think of the theological implications of this. This is deep theology here, by the way. Deep. Jesus is talking of Himself. Here's what He says For the Son of Man did not come to be served. Time out. Okay. Are we serving the Lord? Is He served? Wait, wait. Time out. Are we serving Him? Is He serving us? Well, Jesus said, For the Son of Man did not come to be served. Well, obviously, we serve the Lord. What does this mean? Here it is. Our serving the Lord is not our initiation, it's our response. In other words, we serve the Lord. We don't generate servanthood. He served us. He cared for us. He saved us. He loved us. He unlocked us. What was on the inside of us, the dreams and the call. In other words, he helped us. He saved us. He loved us. Because that happened to us, so likewise we do with others. In other words, because he's loved us, we love others. Because he's... Cared for us, we care for others. Wow. Pastor, I want to be this. I want to be a dream releaser. I want to be somebody that stands in the gap. I want to be somebody that believes. I want so that's why Paul, think of the context back to Paul. Why did Paul, why did Paul, who was Saul, become Paul, why did Paul have such credibility to write to the church in 60 AD, to a church he founded in 50 AD? Why did he have such credibility? I'll tell you why. He was a dream releaser. He believed in that church. He believed in those people. You can do it. God's with you. God's hands upon your life. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I want to talk to you about three characteristics of a dream releaser. I'm using that term analogous to a servant leader, somebody that is a truly humble person. What does it mean? Three characteristics of a dream releaser. Number one, I want to talk to you about a heart. Number two, I want to talk to you about a head. And number three, I want to talk to you about the hands. The heart of a dream releaser, the thinking and the head of a dream releaser, and the hands of a dream releaser. Here we go. The heart of a dream releaser. Philippians chapter two, verse one. Therefore, Paul says, he's writing this letter in jail. If if there's any consolation in Christ, guys, if there's any comfort of love, listen to the intimacy, the tenderness, the way in which he's writing this. If there's any fellowship in the spirit, if there's any affection, if there's any mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. That Remember, he's encouraging them and admonishing them towards unified hearts. Look at this next verse. Let nothing, everyone say nothing. Just think of the implication of this statement. Just think if we really lived this verse. If we really lived this verse, what would this mean? He said, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others. It's not that my needs are not important. It's not that your needs are not important. It's not that God's not concerned about you. Of course he's concerned about you. He's concerned about your needs. He's concerned about your family. He's concerned about your cares. He's concerned about your hurts. He's concerned about your wants. Listen, God, he's concerned. He knows, listen, he knows us. And yet, there's a prioritization here. Here's what he said. He said, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others. What's that next word? Come on, everybody say it. One, two, three, say it. Better than him or herself. What would happen if we really lived that way? I'm asking you guys a question. What would happen if we really lived with an other-centered mindset? It's not that our needs are not important. Of course our needs are important. I love what Zig Ziglar, some of you guys, may know, Zig's a great, he was a great motivational speaker, he taught Sunday school at, at Prestonwood Baptist Church for like 30 or 40 years, great man of God, and here's what he says, you can get anything you want in life, but you just got to help enough other people get what they want, that's the principle. In other words, as I serve you, as you serve the Lord, as we serve one another. In other words, everything that we really want in life, it comes out of understanding that if we make it our aim to add value, to improve, to help, to serve, to care, that's not how the world does it. Heart of a servant leader, the heart of a dream releaser. God's put a dream on the inside of you. Do you know what happens as a pastor, how excited I get when I hear you, know, you guys you know just achieving in life and, and, and young people get married in church and, and different things and have, just all the difference. You know, let me, can, I, can I tell you what happens in my heart to know that I may have a little small part of that, but that ought to be the same thing with you and all of us. That, that, that if we have some little part of, of, of adding value, of lifting, of encouraging, of esteeming somebody where they can achieve in God, Becoming God, achieving God. Paul said that comes through a heart. Watch this now. Here's the caveat. It comes through the heart. And that's where it's tough. Because life's hard. And all of our hearts get they, 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 they get they get hurt. We kind of protect our hearts. And we, we wall off our hearts, but you can't be a dream releaser. You can't really be a true biblical servant leader unless you're vulnerable. Because when you're vulnerable, you connect with people. If you don't connect with people, you can't help people. You guys remember when, when we were kids? It's funny. I was watching my daughter, has uh, my 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 adopted daughter. She's nine and a half. I have videos on my phone from when she was a baby, and so she's about one and a half. We got her at seven months, and she was one maybe about two at this time. And we were just looking at it yesterday. And it was so funny, she's in a crib, and she goes, she goes, You count, I hide. So I'm counting, right? One, two, three. And of course, she's not hiding behind the crib. She just puts her face down like this. Because she really wanted to be hidden. Okay. So, so so she goes, So it's one, two, three, and then, of course, you know, the whole thing. So, so that that's playing hide and seek. Everybody say hide and seek. Okay, so that's how life works. Life relationally works hide and seek. Here's what we're all hiding, but we're really seeking something deeper. So we're gonna hide, and then every now and then we're gonna poke our eyes out to see if you're seeking, and if you're seeking connection, and I'm seeking connection, then we're gonna lower our guard a little bit. But if I start seeking that, and I think that your wall's still up, I'm gonna go hide again. Are y'all with me? But see, the fact is we can't help people unless we take the mask down and we seek and we keep seeking and we keep seeking until you start seeking and you quit hiding. So if I, listen, if I want to get you to quit hiding, I got to quit hiding. Does that make sense? Paul said, whatever it takes by the mercy of God, by the affection of Christ. Can you imagine Jesus coming on this earth and going, all right, you know what? I'm giving y'all one crack at this. If anybody's upset with my ministry, I'm taking off. Are y'all with me or not? I invented Star Trek. I'm beaming me up Scotty. Come on, are y'all with me or not? Can you imagine that? It's hard. But by the grace of God, we can do it. If you want to help people, we've got to, we've got to connect from the heart. I was in an interesting conversation with somebody one time, and I, and I, was, I was actually in a counseling session. This person told me, said, Steve, you're a great encourager, but it's the empathy that you lack at times. You skip the step. You skip the step. Encouragement is you can do it. God's with you. You can do it. The problem is empathy is when you connect with them emotionally, even without words. Man, I'm with you. Wow. Jesus connected with the church in Philippi. He had the heart of a dream release. Number two, not only is it a heart, but it's also the head. It's the head. So it's not just a heart. We can't connect, disconnect our hearts and our head. We've got to keep them connected. So it's not our, only our feeling, it's also our thinking. Look what Paul said. This is such a powerful verse. Look what he said. Let this mind, what mind? The mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. You can have the mind of Christ. I can have the mind of Christ. In other words, I, here it is. Don't miss this. I don't want any of our campuses to miss this. There is an expectation biblically, according to Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, there's a possibility that I can, at some level, maybe not in totality, but at some level, I can think God's thoughts. Not totally, but in part. So here, here it is, here it is. I can think God's thoughts. Well, what are God's thoughts? What does God want us to think about him? Let this mind be in you. What mind? The mind of Christ. In other words, I can have the mind of Christ. I can think the way Jesus thinks. I'm not Jesus because we have a sin nature, but yet we can think thoughts. In other words, maybe it's not not 50%, but what if we thought 10% like Christ thought? It's pretty good. What if we thought 20%? I mean, a national batting average, you know, right? It's 30. I mean, my gosh, if you hit 300, you're knocking it out the park, right? What if we could think 20%? What if we could, okay, let's talk about this. Let's talk about our thoughts about God, ourselves, and others. Just think about this. I'm talking about the mind of Christ. If we really want to be a dream releaser, number one, we've got to have a heart. We've got to have a heart of empathy. We've got to connect emotionally with those that we're trying to help. We've got to push through the fear and the veneer of a wounded heart. Wounded people are, by its very definition, myopic. That's why we want to be healed. Why? So that we can be whole to give away what we've just received. But I've got to think God's thoughts. I've got to have the mind of Christ. But what is God? So if I think about God that he's small, that he's stingy, that he's only got so much to go around. A guy came one time... To me, he said, Pastor, you know what? I've really got this need in my life, but I'm concerned about sharing it. Well, why are you concerned? He goes, "Here's what he said, genuine heart. He says, man, Pastor, I know there's some people in probably India that's got bigger concerns than me, so I don't, I'm not going to share that with God. Now, his heart was, again, I, it, was, it, it was not biblical what he said. I understood his heart was genuine. How many you know God can meet somebody's need in Mumbai as well as Mandeville at the same time? Are y'all with me? We don't serve a small God. God is a big God. God is a large God. If we have a big view of God, that God is a God of abundance, that God is an El Shaddai God, that God is more than Everybody say more than enough. So if God has more than enough, guess what? God has enough for me as well as he's got for you. If I think that God is limited, God is scarce, and God is stingy, then I'm going to protect what I've got. Because I don't want to give it away. Because if I give it away, I may never get it again. If we think that God's big, which he is, the omnipotence of God, the omniscience of God, God is awesome. Number one, we've got to have biblical thoughts about God. Number two, we've got to have biblical thoughts about others. If we don't see others the way God wants us to see them, if we walk into a room evaluating everybody, that they may potentially have a motive to injure us. I was in a counseling appointment one time, and I say this very respectfully. This person, I just was trying to get them to think, Here's where it came down to in the end. Their point was, Pastor, every situation I go into, there is this sense that I'm going to be taken advantage of and that people are just not good and there's really no pure-hearted people out there. And I thought, wait, time out, wait, wait, time out, time out. Man, so you walk into every environment, every environment that you walk into, there's already a slant in your mind that you're going to be, quote, taken advantage of. There's no no possibility for transparency. There's no possibility for connection. Our view of other people. So, pastor, are you suggesting that everybody is altruistic in their motives? Here's what I'm suggesting. We're all fallen, but by the power of God, we can all get outside of ourselves. If I look at the people that I'm pastoring, you know, it's like the guy said, I tell you, I love being a pastor. I just hate all the people. That guy needs to go do something else. I mean, no offense. I don't want to suggest something, lest you may do that. But anyway, so the fact is, is that people are part of the process. People are the product. People are what we're about. And the reality is that we've got to have a different view. In other words, we've got to learn to put tens on people's foreheads. Yes, they're going to take advantage of you. Yes, they're not always going to be kind. Yes, they're going to say bad things about your times. Yes, you're going to be accused of. Yeah, but here's the point. we still got to believe in them. We still gotta believe. We still gotta believe. We still gotta say, all right, I try, not everybody's back. Not every no, 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 no. Listen, we gotta have thoughts about God that are right. I want to have a head of a dream releaser. Listen, God's a big God. Number two, God has called us. There's potential on the inside. Here's a here's a flip, here's a flip, here's a flip. I want everybody to look at me, all the campuses, here's a flip. Here's a strategy, a mental strategy of dealing with people. Here it is, all right? Here it is. If somebody acts incorrectly, inappropriately, disrespectfully, or whatever, instead of calling them a bad person in your mind, just say, that's a wounded person. Because what I've found is whenever there's some heat, there's often some hurt behind it. Man, they're wounded. I don't know what happened to them this morning. Maybe something happened in their marriage. Maybe they were abused as a kid. I don't know. Wow, wow, wow. Let this mind be in you. What mind? The mind of God, the mind of Christ. Thinking who God is, thinking who others are. What about ourselves? We have to have an accurate assessment of ourselves. Paul said this in Romans chapter 12. I'm talking about how to be a dream releases for I say, here it is. This is such a powerful principle. You and I, listen to me, you and I have to have an accurate assessment of God's wiring in our lives as well. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who's among you not to think of himself more highly than you ought to think. In other words, don't have higher thoughts. We don't, you're not better than everybody else, but conversely, you're also not worse. You have an accurate portion of what God's given you, but to think soberly. In other words, have an accurate assessment. You know, I'm 50 years old. I realize in my life, I'm, I'm, I'm not as gifted as some people, but I'm, I'm more gifted in areas than others are. So you've got to come to the conclusion that what you need to be concerned about is what has God given you, and are you stewarding over what God has made you to be? What God has given you? Are you being a wise steward with that? So why is that important? Here it is. You can't take from me what God's given me, and I can't take it from you, if God's really given it. Your neighbor can't take from you what God's given you, and you can't take it from them. You don't have to put somebody down in order to lift yourself up. I don't have to say about all the other churches. I tell you, yeah, but we do this better. We No, 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 time out. How many of you know when the tide rises, all the boats should rise at the harbor? Are y'all with me? In other words, we, we don't have to put others down to make ourselves feel better. Yeah. You ever been in a conversation with somebody They said, well, yeah. And you bring up somebody's name, they go, yeah, but, but what? And they kind of give you the caveat, the back story of, yeah, but they got, and well, it was inherited, yeah, but you never know, yeah, well, they had a break, and, well, but timeout, how about just, man, that's awesome. Are you all with me? Man, that's awesome. Everybody say, that's awesome. And make that about somebody else. That's awesome. Yeah. Number one, the heart of a true servant leader, a dream releaser, somebody that connects emotionally. Number two, the head of a dream releaser. They have accurate thoughts about God themselves and others. Number three, I'll close with this, is the hands, the hands, the hands of a dream releaser. By the way, you ought to do a study one time in the Bible of hands, in the Bible, Old and New Testament, the hand of God, the hand of the Lord. It's very powerful. There's something about the hands. Philippians 2, 7 and 8, but himself have made no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant. Jesus, where are you going? You're leaving what? Can you imagine the angels? You're leaving heaven for what? To go down where? Earth. Why? To go be born from who? A virgin. Wow. I'm sure it's a nice place. I mean, this is pretty awesome. Well, it's a what? It's a stable, a manger. My gosh, he's lost it. Angelic conversation. I'm just conjecturing. But it could, could have happened. Don't put that in the Bible. But anyway, so here we go. And being unfound in his appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Here's what I found. If you're really going to help people, you got to be willing to roll up your sleeves and get involved. You know, I think about my life, the different men and women that have believed in me and have labored with me and rolled up their sleeves and gotten dirty and Steve and, you know, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm out of a crazy party lifestyle and Pastor Doug and all my pastors, I had multiple pastors. I'd call one pastor. If they didn't like what they said, I'd hang up on them and call somebody else. Are y'all with me now? I was not 20 years old. I'm just telling you. And so I've gotten a little bit better. But the point is, is this, is that, is that in my life, let me tell you something. I'm so grateful. But it took men, it took some men that were willing to invest some time, some of their talents. You can't change somebody's life unless you're willing to do that. I've got a quick two-minute video, one of the most powerful stories you've ever seen, about some a couple that said yes to what God said. I'm going to come right back in two minutes and close. Check this out.
1: We were driving home from church one day, and as we were coming out of the church service, uh, Elizabeth said, you know, I have something to ask you. How do you feel about adopting? I think we should adopt. And I said, wow, I was literally just thinking the same thing. I taught fifth grade for about seven years. I was coming home from school and Elizabeth called me and she said, I got the craziest call today. I think that one of the students that they want us to foster is in your class.
2: First time I met him, it was at a school, and I just walked up, and I immediately fell in love with him. I was like, that's my son. For him, I think it was harder to, wait, now you're my parents, but you were strangers a few minutes ago, you know? And that's kind of the difficulty of adoption sometimes.
1: Our son, he just he just had a lot of challenges, uh, you know, trusting and, and knowing that people were there to, to care for him. He had such a sense of hopelessness um, at that part of his life. For us, there were 22 different foster homes for the last 11 years, so uh, there was a lot to, to deal with.
2: He just progressively started to have behaviors that were an outward expression of what he was feeling inwardly. I just remember crying out to him, being like, "Lord, is this ever going to get better?" We started to seek out some different treatment options for him, and. Uh, even though we had tried everything in the past and we finally found somewhere that was amazing and perfect for him. Since he's been able to receive that treatment, he has made phenomenal growth. He is doing much better. He's doing well in school. He um, has goals for the future. He has a hope for the future. He's growing in his relationship with Christ.
1: It started out with us just being wholeheartedly uh, willing to, to do whatever we felt Christ was calling us to do. So we jumped right into it from there. And uh, we didn't have all of the answers. We didn't have all of the pieces. Um, But we knew that we wanted to serve Christ with whatever we were going to do. What we've learned over the the last few years is that uh, no matter what we've been through, no matter what we're going through, God is the one that's going to bring us through it all. And he's always been there, and he always will be.
2: We know that we're still all smack dab in the middle of a healing story. It's not over. There's a lot more healing to be done, um, but it's been really cool to watch God's promises come through. Isn't that awesome? I want everybody to stand.
0: I'm gonna ask all of our campuses to stand. I'm gonna, just, I'm gonna ask our prayer team and all of our campuses to come forward. I do wanna say our altar is open after, the, after every service. Maybe any prayer for healing, prayer you're dealing with depression struggling maybe in a relationship we're always here to minister the love and life of christ yeah, i want to just pray father we're so grateful god we're, we're grateful for what you're making us as a people lord i thank you that you're putting in us as a church what would it be what would it look like for church of the king it's not going to look the same for everyone but what would it look like for us i'm asking as individuals and maybe you would say that to the lord lord what does it look like for me What are you asking me to do? Who are you asking me to invest in? Maybe it's just to start a small group. Maybe it's to, who knows? Be on an outreach team, to go on a mission trip this year to to invest in somebody, to to serve some, some. But there's true joy when you help to release the dreams in others and help believe in them and help invest in them. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're healing our hearts. That we're not so self-consumed with our own hurts, our own needs, our own pains. That we can be a healed people to live beyond ourselves. to Be a blessing to others. To be dream releasers. What would it look like at Church of the King? What would it look like in our community in Baton Rouge and Biloxi? all over the South Shore, all over the North Shore, what would it look like every member of Church of the King, if every person that attended, what would it really look like in our schools, in our businesses, in our homes? We became that. I believe transformation would take place. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. If you do not know Christ, our church is here. We'd love to talk to you, even up front afterwards, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you need prayer for anything, we're here. I'm believing God. I'm believing God for your life. Holy Spirit of God, breathe upon us the dreams and the callings, Lord. Heal hearts. Restore lives, oh God, that we can truly live out our days, Lord God, productive and fruitful and not self-consumed. God, I bless your people. May the grace and the favor of God be upon your life as you go forth this day in the wonderful and powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said?